Technology has become essential to almost every aspect of our business operations. Organizations of all sizes are looking to new digital solutions to help them successfully navigate complex and often fast-changing environments. Today, it's not only about automating repetitive tasks or making our employees more productive. Newer technology solutions are providing more immersive ways to use applications, as well as far greater predictive capabilities. So what are some of the newer technologies, and how are they shaping the future of business? I'm Jane Singer, and thank you for joining me here on A Seat at the Table and being part of our global community of industry leaders. Today, we have Slava Pajerny with us. Slava is co-founder and CEO at VisaTech, a software development agency that helps companies create and implement advanced technologies to transform their business. During his 14 years of applying technologies to diverse business niches, he's worked on fintech solutions, metaverse platforms, SaaS products, and interactive apps. In this podcast, Slava will be talking about digital twin technology, a brand new way of business process transformation, how to align metaverse solutions with your specific business goals, and Web3D technologies, the driving force to provide in-depth content perception. Even companies with state-of-the-art technology know that they need top talent to grow their business and drive success. That's why leading corporations and even smaller enterprises rely on AsianNet consultants to help them fill key positions. Since 1988, AsianNet has been working in partnership with its global clients to help them make the right strategic hires. They have a well-earned reputation for being able to fill even those difficult-to-fill positions. So if you need to recruit top talent, or you think you might be doing that soon, head on over to their website. That's asianetconsultants.com, asianetconsultants.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Now let's hear from Slava about the next big developments in technology. Thank you so much for joining us here on A Seat at the Table. I am personally interested in the topic that you talk about, and I think a lot of people listening to the show will be also, because a lot of our guests, a lot of our listeners are in supply chain. And certainly what you're talking about, which is digital twins, is now becoming something that is a lot more talked about and little by little applied in a greater number of supply chain scenarios, of course, as well as as many. Yeah, that's kind of true, probably, because like the world is becoming more and more digitalized. Yes. And I think it's just the demand of time somehow. So <laughs> we'd be glad to share that information with your auditory and you personally. So perhaps we can start, give us a brief explanation of exactly what is a digital twin. It sounds sort of sci-fi <laughs> for those of us who are who are not experts in the field. So maybe just give us that quick that that overview of what exactly is a digital twin. So basically, it's uh, it's super simple. Imagine you have like a physical process, yes, and when you create like a digital counterpart of it, it's the digital twin. For example, you have a physical car, you create like a digital representation. So that's called digital twin. There's like a level of uh, Accuracy, how you create it, like which processes you would like to explain, which processes you'd like to test. But uh, I think like if we're talking about like more uh, sci-fi, it's it's closer to Matrix, actually. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that you do have that sense of things of being, I guess, a little bit alien, so to speak. But I think it's an interesting concept because... I think one of the biggest challenges that people are increasingly facing in in a wider range of scenarios is being able to predict 
potential problems and be able to test potential solutions in advance of, of the actual situation coming up. And I know that in engineering, they've been doing this for, I don't know, maybe decades, right? I, I couldn't put an exact date on it, but it, it's been used in engineering extensively. But now, I, as you're pointing out, technology is putting it within reach of people who are doing light industries, as well as other things such as medical and, well, a huge range of scenarios. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about Sure. So, uh, like, there are, like, two big, like, I would say, like, niches. One is, like, entertainment, which is, like, huge for the digital twins. Another one is, like, more industrial, probably, oriented. I mean, if we talk widely, even, for example, you have, like, a bank, yes, like, a physical bank with people inside, I don't know, like, coaches, cashier desk, and ATMs. If you create, like, an online banking, basically, it's also a digital twin, but Maybe let's cover more, you know, like interactive experiences like metaverses, for example, or, you know, like simulations. So if we're talking about more entertainment, I would say a lot of things happening in metaverses or many companies try to create like metaverses. Now, then we don't want to live inside this virtual world, but we somehow want to utilize. We use computers, we use Zoom to communicate and, you know, people, the same, same with uh, metaverses. Yes, you can gather like some amount of people in one space and give them tasks and it feels much more immersive right talking about more industrial utilizations it's mostly connected to simulations of like a particular process for example you can have like a virtual laboratory and you can test some like collision tests you can do this digitally or you can do some physical events you know simulate there so basically when you're when you're using a digital within industry, you would be able to simulate those events. And then you could also simulate how you might react to that event. They're like, yeah, so yes, the thing that like you can do the same thing as you do in, in, in real world, but of course it's much more cost efficient because you can run different on it and you can do also automatic testing. For example, you have a digital clean of your factory, so you can simulate your processes, like how like assembling belt is happening. And also you can do some safety trainings for your employees and, and, and so on, so on. And you can do it numerous times. So it's automatization. <laughs> I can see how that would be incredibly, not only time efficient, but the fact that if you are able to test solutions before rolling them out, you could potentially save not only the, the time and money, but also you would be able to determine if a solution might fail before having to actually, you know, prior to that, right, you had to implement something, sometimes on the fly if there was a crisis, and then you didn't know if it would work. So this way, in a sense, you could say it's almost like a flight simulator for for an aircraft i'm not saying it's exactly the same but it's the concept of having people trained for you know disaster training so to speak in advance of it actually happening and understanding if that solution that we're going to try to implement well how could that fail so to speak or maybe testing multiple solutions yeah like i think like the one of like the biggest benefits that you can that's the same scenario, like many times, you know, try to find the best possible solution. And in real world, you can imagine like creating like a copy of aircraft crashing it. Yeah. How, you know, measure the, like all the sensors. It's like too expensive, Imp just impossible probably, you know, just to do more than one time. So there are a lot of benefits. <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, when you think about it, right, on, a, on even, you know, on a cost side of things, on a safety side of things, there it's huge. 
But even when you don't really have those very dramatic potential failures, just to be able to test alternative ways of doing things, which is probably what most companies would be applying it for, right? It wouldn't be in the case of an airplane crashing, but it could be a supply chain snafu, right? And if we're trying to move from here to here with these goods, what are potential other ways we could do it? And to be able to test it that way, again, could could have an incredible time and money-saving opportunities. Yeah, that's definitely true. The thing like we as humans, we pursue information visually. So it's not only you know, describing the process itself, not just uh, because all those supply chains are like systems which uh, process them and everything is going well. But if you can visualize it, for example, and uh, like an operator or manager can see like the whole chain and one chain will, you know, highlight and you see exactly the problem there. So, and you can find way like how, how to resupply that part, you know, how to find the way around this problem. So definitely it helps a lot. Now getting a little technical, how do you go from that data side of things to a visual representation that you can actually interact with as a as a, a person as a real person <laughs> so as any software like there are always like a few parts of it the biggest part probably is invisible still to users it's like right. backend or the server where the the whole logic is is happening also another part like it's what we see like iceberg yes we see only top of it uh, it's uh, the front end uh, so first of all basically you create uh, the backend you create the logic because the like processes supposed to happen there but at the same time you want to make like great visualization so uh, operator can see the result visually and can you know like use it somehow interact with it and there are a few a few approaches recently i would say like the huge the biggest trend that i see now in the market is web-based front ends it looks like mobile, like just computer things are, I cannot say dying, yes, but they are declining, definitely. Okay. And the web part is growing because it's so much easier, yes. You just open like a web link and no need to download things. You're instantly there. Uh, just wait for loading time a little bit and that's it. So people try probably to get closer to those technologies and receive them much more immersive. But when you do that, for example, there are a lot of obstacles from technical point of view. It's a little bit more complicated to present some sophisticated 3D graphics, for example, because I cannot say like not all digital things use 3D graphics, yes, but a lot of them uses and it may be some obstacles there. Yeah, I can see how a typical computer might not have the capability to handle that in terms of, of RAM, in, ter in terms of computing speed and so forth. And then again, trying to do that all online, I imagine you would need a fairly good and stable bandwidth. Yes, you're correct. But there are also like techniques to optimize that. And this is like where the magic happens. Yes. In general, in software development, it's all about optimization. You can right. use a brute force. Yes. And like show everything at the same time. And it will not work even like on a supercomputers. But right. if you do it smart way, you can get the things working even on uh, user level computers. Mostly for our clients, I would say we're targeting uh, pretty simple computer setups, you know, just like i5 processor and maybe eight gigabytes of RAM. So it's a very typical setup for every company. That's our goal, make it widespread, <laughs> the technology. 
Wow, that's incredible. I mean, to be able to optimize it for a machine with that level of specs is almost incredible, considering that it's hard to even get consumer level apps to run on anything without a quite high level of specs. Yeah. That's, that's probably our job, you know, just to make it operational. And uh, our company background is in computer games. At some point in my life, I decided like, oh my God, it's so boring to do like applications. Let's do games. And we started to do games. Maybe for a few years, we were totally concentrated on game development. But at some point, still, you know, somehow we started to do digital twins at some point. Right. Like companies started to ask. It's also called serious games. Like when you do a game, but the game simulates some process. So basically, it's a digital twin. At, at that time, I don't remember the term, you know, like a digital twin, but we were calling that serious games. And uh, like in time, we started just to do digital twins. So right. the game development background helped us a lot in optimizations and also with user experience, because in games, it's all about user experience. Uh, the game, any game supposed to be enjoyable. Yes. Otherwise, right. there's no reason <laughs> to play in it. And uh, we, we're trying to apply those techniques to digital twins. So despite the fact it's, it's a pure business, yes, it's not fun. Maybe we try to make it a little bit fun for people who use it, you know, just use those techniques. And I believe gamification is a crucial step because in education, now you can see it's, it's all about uh, gamification. People perceive information better, maybe and faster and more enjoyable, of course. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And I hadn't thought about it that way before, but you're absolutely right. If you can, like you say, create serious games, which is combining the best of, of actual entertainment games with the ability to solve real life problems, right? That you might come up with an industry or elsewhere, you are able to get a lot better user engagement, right? To make it easier for people to get into it. Otherwise there seems to be when the user interfaces is not similar to what they're used to, it can be a challenge, right? To get people accustomed to using the system. The, the thing in Digital twins, probably, if we're talking about, I mean, uh, most of the time I talk about the front end side, of course, because it's the thing that people are able to see, you know, and right. able to perceive. The thing like in the front end, digital twins, it's a lot about user experience. You're right. The thing for people, some, sometimes it's complicated to use because we have another dimension. It's not just a website, yes, with the buttons and the controls. It's like most of the time, it's like there's like a third dimension, the depths, yes, and people should be able to easily behave with it. Many companies and many like startups do big mistakes. They try to make digital twin, but they try to use it Imagine you have a metaverse, for example. Imagine you have a metaverse and you have a, a, a Zoom in the metaverse. And what you do, you just use Zoom inside the metaverse. It's kind of, I don't want to be rude, yes, but it's kind of stupid, yes. <laughs> because you can just use Zoom without the metaverse. What's the reason right. to use the metaverse? But if you have a metaverse, for example, it's great to, you have 3D. So you can have 3D objects, so you can combine those 3D objects. You can perceive real scale of those objects. That's where you need the depth. And the whole experience somehow must be built around that principle that you need to build like immersive experience. You add more information, you know, so their brains more information. It's not just a projection. It's like real thing. It's an interesting way to look at it. It's that you can learn just so much right in a 2D environment 
but once you get into a 3D environment for many different disciplines, you can actually be more participatory. You're not just learning, but you're actually learning by doing, so to speak. I don't know if I'm phrasing mm -hmm. that correctly. No, no, that's exactly correct. Like a huge part of our business connected with education and I see like it's also growing trend in education. Like educators just try to create like some sort of like digital twins, you know, of classes, of libraries, of firms. We want to work in teams and sometimes Zoom is just not enough. You want to see bodies around you and, uh, you know, somehow also collaborate with them, not just uh, talk or see each other. Now, talking about that, I think that's an interesting topic because we have, since the pandemic, seen a lot more companies working over Zoom than ever before. And one of the things that people feel was missing was that in, for certain tasks, right, for being in the same room together to collaborate. And like you're saying, of course, you can have everybody on Zoom and everybody has their own little box and can participate in the conversation, but it's less of a of a flow, shall we say, than if everybody is actually sitting there at their desk and you're in, you know, in real life. Do you see that this kind of digital twin technology, right, is going to make it possible for people to take Zoom and, and make people really feel like we're all sitting in the same room? Or is that something that's really, really way down the road? No, no, definitely. It's happening already. To be honest, like, like maybe five years ago, I thought like we, we would be inside virtual reality by, by now right. and uh, using some sophisticated glasses, but that is like a little bit more complicated. People just don't want to buy like additional headset. We have mobile phones and we don't yeah. want to buy another thing, you know, and it's expensive. It's complicated. It's bulky. I don't know. So what I see now, like we, we use the same principle, the thing like we use it in 3D. And where we use it inside web browsers somehow more and more, you know, mm. so it's more accessible. It's still 3D, but it's on a flat screen because we all have flat screens already. Right. So probably that is why. But answering probably your question, definitely it, people, they, they're missing real communication. Sometimes it's so great to, you know, hug your colleague or shake a hand, you know, just do simple social, you know, like gestures. Right. But even if you do it, for example, on a 3D on a screen, you shake a hand like your avatar shakes a hand to another avatar. It already feels differently. You know, it's a different experience. Mm. It's not the same as real life. Totally not. I mean, real life is so much better. Go outside, go to the park, <laughs> have a walk. It's so much better, yes. But if we cannot do that or like we are separated by distance, it's better than just, you know, a Zoom call because it, it feels much more immersive for people. And, you know, like people, basically right. speaking, like social animals. And we need those traditions. We need, you know, some special <laughs> dance moves, you know, <laughs> just right. to perceive information better and understand people better. And I believe we're moving. We're slowly but moving to that direction. I think like the final destination, definitely kind of a matrix experience <laughs> when you'll be connected inside the environment, uh, fully emerged there and maybe live there. It, it sounds a little bit apocalyptic, yes, but we'll see. I mean... Zoom helped us to go through the pandemic, yes, save the economy in many senses. And uh, it's just evolution, I think. So. I think you're right. I think that nothing will really replace actually being there, but that the hybrid sure. solutions will perhaps 
become a little more realistic. I mean, we've certainly seen that happen from what we had with video calls prior to the pandemic to the way video calls, which is basically what Zoom is, have definitely become more enhanced. So I, th- I think you're right. I think that, you know, it'll always, there'll always be that need to be there in person when you, when you possibly can. And I think if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, that the digital twin technology is really where it's really finding traction and solving problems is more in industrial solutions, where you're talking about being able to have multiple different possibilities, where you're able to do more predictive, predictive, you know, predicting potential problems and then testing potential solutions in advance of that actually occurring. So it's more focusing on that than on being able to enable people to collaborate (laughs) around a table, so to speak. Not only industrial application. There are many applications, like, as I mentioned, education, for example, or even retail. Yes, like the ability to show your goods in 3D and help people to interact with them. For example, you can wear different clothes on your avatar and you can do some moves to see, you know, how the clothes behaves when you do like a particular dance, for example. The best possible ways to go to like offline shop to people, check your clothes. But if you cannot do that or you're too busy or you're far away, people try to make like some sort of substitution. For example, online shopping, yes, like, you know, 10 and 15 years ago, like online shops emerged a lot and people started buying online, but still it's not so easy as to buy some things online. You're never sure about how it will look like on you. I think you're right. I do see apps like that, that have tried to help people to get better fit for clothing. And then other things where you can visualize what the product would look like in your home or in your office. So it's interesting that you're bringing those use cases up. But yeah, it's operational and existing any process you can imagine in real life it is nowadays it's possible to digitize it because we have enough processor power to process high volume of data we're able to process like sophisticated 3d graphics on even on low interest right now we are here and i believe next maybe five ten years will be like a huge time for uh, like the whole world is digitizing. Now, just if you could briefly tell us a little bit about what you do at Vizartech. Yeah, it's Vizartech. We invented like this name because it's vision, art, and technology. So we try to combine all those things to make the world a better place with technology. So what we do, like basically a custom software development company, we develop custom solutions on demand. I would say like if we're talking about industries, we do a lot of educations, we do sports simulations, we do just simulations, and we do a lot of social networking. We utilize the whole cycle. We do ecosystems for our clients. So it's like backend, frontend, client support, you know, trying to give like some pre-made packages and, you know, this kind of concierge service experience. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting. And I think that increasingly companies are going to be looking towards this to see how they can solve problems more efficiently, train people better. And just in general, everybody's looking to be able to do things in a way, right, that saves time, that saves money, and that hopefully avoids disaster whenever possible. That's true. I mean, it's, I mean, every business tries to optimize 
their expenses and somehow attract more attention. So I see no other way here. It's, it's happening. Yeah, I definitely would agree with you on that. Well, Slava, thank you so much for joining us here on A Seat at the Table. It's just been a pleasure talking to you and being able to explore this very interesting concept of visual twins and where that concept is going and where the technology is evolving. How can people get in touch with you? Where can people find you? I would say like the best place probably is our website, uh, wizardtech.com and my LinkedIn. <laughs> it's the usual way people reach me out. <laughs> okay. Well, I will make sure that those links are in the show notes. And of course, they'll be over on our podcast website. Thank you, Jane, also for the opportunity to share the like my beliefs and, you know, like share my thoughts about the technologies. It's I'm always interesting to share more with people, you know, and somehow evolve the world you know, make it more digital and more optimized. <laughs> thank you so much. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, AsianNet Consultants. AsianNet's a specialist in recruiting top talent in Asian markets. Since 1988, AsianNet has been working in partnership with its global clients to help them make the right strategic hires. They have a well-earned reputation for being able to fill even those difficult-to-fill positions. Learn about how they can help you find the best talent by heading over to their website, asianetconsultants.com. That's asianetconsultants.com. I'll also leave a link in the show notes. Thank you for joining me here on A Seat at the Table. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something from it, I would love to hear about it. If you'd like to support the show, please hit the subscribe button. And if you can take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or other channels, that would be fabulous. Don't forget to check out our podcast website, seatpodcast.com. That's S-E-A-T podcast.com. If there's something you'd like to share, ideas, suggestions, or comments, please feel free to reach out. I would love to hear from you. Thank you again for joining me and being part of our international community. I'm Jane Singer, and I'll see you in the next podcast episode.